Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Loose Units The Shadow Files. Hello, and welcome to part two of our investigation into the Claremont killings. Last week, we finished by looking at Jane Rimmer, who was a 23-year-old who was snatched on Sunday the 9th of June, 1996. And we talked about two victims, but this week, we're going to start with victim number three. Dad, would you like to walk us through what happened to Kiara Glennon on Saturday the 15th of March, 1997? Well, Kiara was a 27-year-old... Uh, lawyer, and from what I've been able to glean from her friends and colleagues, funnily enough, some of the lawyer colleagues did not want to be named, which I've always found a little bit unusual. Why would they not want to be named? I've got no idea. It just struck me as being, well, bizarre. If any of those lawyers are listening, I'd love to find out why you wouldn't give your name. But mm. anyway, that's, that's you know, I just don't know. That's I'm totally bamboozled by that. And she, like the other two girls and many, many other people, were out having a good time uh, in the wee hours of the morning. You know, she'd been out to, you know, an establishment, you know, with friends. You know, the, the killer, he, he had a certain, you know, I mean, it's obvious that he had a a profile, as do most killers. Well, not all killers, but, you know, this this guy, because um, we know it's a guy, mm. and he, in his perverted, sick mind, he had a... Um, he has a formulaic sort of profile, internal profile, that he that he uses to, to, to focus in on a particular victim. And that night... You know, around about 1.30 a.m., you know, uh, Kiara was last seen walking along um, a highway and there were actually these guys that have become known as the Burger Boys. Have you heard of them? No. Okay, so the Burger Boys were two guys. They're sitting at a bus stop eating hamburgers and they see the girl and they... They were looking at her and they saw a white Holden station wagon pull up. And they, they noticed it. And they actually, apparently it was it had these weird like mudguards and they were called teardrop mudguards, slightly unusual. And maybe these guys sort of, you know, had, had an appreciation or, or they were aware um, of cars. And I know I was when I was in my teens, early 20s. And... You know, they sort of took note. They saw the girl actually talking to an occupant of this car. They didn't pay a lot of attention. They continued eating, talking, 
glanced back to where the girl and the vehicle had been. This all happened relatively quickly. These sort of things would certainly not happen over a long period of time because the the, the offender, a, a person we now know was the offender, his goal, he's on the prowl, he's on the hunt. He wants to get things happening quickly. And he, when the guys looked back, the car and the girl had gone. These were the last two people that we know of that saw Kiara alive. And that was the, uh, that was March the 14th, 1997. And around about three weeks later, she, her body was found. Now she was found lying down. She was in, um, in the bushland in the north of Perth. Mm. And she had a big, like a very, very, and the quote is a large gaping wound that ran from her temple to her neck. Mm. And, uh, and there was also a large cut about 20 centimetres in length on her right arm. Mm. Which, I mean, I would assume that was because of a struggle potentially. Mm. Although 20 centimetres is pretty big. Well, you know, they're called defensive um, wounds. Now, I'm not privy to the, the particular details of this mm-hmm. um, harrowing, you know, story. Yeah. But I have been to murders where... Um, and not, it's not always... Of course, it's not always women. Obviously, there are many, many. I mean, just think about um, Paul and, and listeners. And this is going to be a little bit distressing, but let's just go through the exercise. And I don't think this is actually done that often anywhere, but let's let's do it. Let's imagine, Paul, that Tegan, who let's, for example, say she's out in the kitchen and we're recording a podcast and all of a sudden Tegan screams you immediately, instinctively, so a, a whole sort of dose of adrenaline dumps into your body instantaneously. That's the fear. And then you leave me sitting here, you go out into the, uh, the kitchen and someone has kicked your front door in and is standing there with a knife. And Tegan is sort of freaking out she's crouching down on the kitchen floor you instinctively are going to more than likely stand between Tegan and the and the attacker he's 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 brandishing a massive knife he lunges towards you in a sort of a thrashing cutting piercing stabbing jabbing sort of he's he's trying to attack you and you the first thing you will do as you approach him or he approaches you, is that your hands, your arms, will will protect your face and your and your stomach as he's lunging, and in doing so, you will sustain injuries. Now, let's hope that you know all of a sudden the police run in and and everything's sweet. But it but in the interim, you have sustained certain injuries. In, I mean in, that was a that was a truly dreadful hypothetical. But I know, see, Paul. I just, I'm just, I know, yeah. and it's, it, I didn't feel comfortable. But I, you, well, you know, what's weird. You know, what's weird is because of the, um, because of the pretty incessant karate training. I actually have us. We've been taught specific things to do, and mm. funnily enough, none of them involve raising your hands above your head. It's all about moving to the side and kind of pulling. The, there's this whole kind of thing, but whether that instinct would actually kick in 
in a real crisis and I wouldn't just revert to frightened lizard brain man, which is the more likely possibility, mm. you know. But, I mean, her defensive wound, 20 centimetres. Um, I'm going to read a statement from the court case. This is an incised wound and the angle of withdrawal is different to the angle of insertion. The pathologist also observed that Miss Glennon had a depressed fracture to her skull, which she described as likely being a sharp force injury that would have occurred at or about the time of her death. And this is a quote. In my opinion, this defect might have caused outbunding. I don't know what outbunding is. Obtunding? Obtunding? Is that a word? Don't know. Okay. Blunting of the senses, momentarily stunning her or rendering her semi-conscious. She also found Miss Glennon's left thumbnail to be severely damaged and the tip of her right ring fingernail torn off, determining that the damage to both nails had also occurred close to the time of death. So it sounds like she was trying to fight this person off. Mm. Her parents um, said, um, as I imagine a lot of parents would say, mm. um, you know, that she was strong and strong-willed. Yeah. And she would have done, as, as everyone would do, for fuck's sake. I mean, yeah, it's just diabolical. Now, I'm not sure if we covered this last week, but the West Australian government offered a $250,000 AUD reward trying to find the the killer. And they had a task force, Mm. as we established, called the Macro Task Force, right? Mm. Yep, yep. Now, at this point, the task force has to kind of build a case and zero in on, you know, a possible suspect. Mm. And correct me if I'm wrong... But based on some of the footage that we saw and that they saw at the time, the uh, CCTV footage outside the the club, they started looking into Perth's taxi drivers. Mm, 5,000 of them. 5,000. Jesus Christ. Incredible. Yeah. So basically they wanted fingerprints and DNA off every taxi driver. Now, weirdly... I remember when I, oh look, when I was a policeman and I'm sort of, I don't want to generalise, but we used to have a lot of drama, a lot, with a disproportionate number of cab drivers. Let's just say that yeah, for lots of reasons. So during this um, investigation in Western Australia, they, dis- they, they actually uncovered 87 taxi drivers who had substantial and serious criminal records that warranted those 87 people, and on the balance of probabilities, I'll bet you my left nut that they're all men, they had their licenses revoked, which is a complete aside from the investigation, really. They discovered so many problems with the West Australian taxi, you know, business and they changed the regulations. That's an, as an aside to, to this, but they actually didn't turn anything up. But, but, but when they set up a task force and the public is baying for blood, basically, because the public says, look, this is just not acceptable. The police are, are public servants. They are, the, they are servants of the people. And the people through the media are beginning to become absolutely terrified. They're becoming incensed. They want results. The police want results. The senior... You know, people right up the top of the tree, the commissioners, you know, the superintendents are going, you know, guys and girls, what are you doing? Let's just go hard. And one of the things they did, because invariably, again, this is all with, with hindsight, they managed to, in the net, pick up 
it's like casting a net out in the ocean and you pull in turtles and dolphins. You're not fishing for turtles and dolphins. But you catch things you weren't initially looking for. So are you saying that by canvassing 5,000 cab drivers, they bagged a whole bunch of other criminals for other behaviour? Correct. Like a bit of a, a sting. Right. But that's that's not really spoken about. But on, on you know, statistically, that's bound to happen. Mm. But they also had these techniques where they would um, get female police officers to dress up you know, young young police officers, as was the case with your mother, Paul, when Mum was in her twenties, they were trying to catch that that serial, um, you know, the the guy that used to flash in the arcades in the city. Oh God! Who yes. had all those vile things written, and he'd he'd written on his on his body with feces. So they hung Mum out to dry as a kind of uh, as bait, basically. Yeah, yeah they they used Mum yeah. to lure this fucking insane creepy scumbag mm-hmm. but in this but, but he was not at least in sydney this guy was not a murderer but imagine oh my god when you think about it i've just had a sort of a, a minor sort of flash of shit that's heavy in that can you imagine the young police officers the women you know relatively i'm not going to say scantily clad but they were obviously dressed for the purpose mm-hmm. and then one night a particular uh, citizen of Perth picked up a female hitchhiker, which is not an—it's not an offence. It was not an offence to hitchhike, and it certainly was not an offence to pick up a hitchhiker. But this this guy, he picks up this this police officer. But can can you just uh, switch your whole way of thinking and imagine if he had been the murderer? Yeah, that's pretty creepy. Because the, yeah. the police officer, when she gets into the car, oh god, it's horrific. Well, I mean, they're doing their canvassing. They're you know they're sending out officers, and they've got a task force in full effect. And I found this piece, Dad, from seventeen years ago in the Age. Back this is September seventeenth, two thousand and four. Police investigating the serial killings of three young Perth women have raided the home of a controversial civil libertarian and reportedly forced him to give a DNA sample. Mm-hmm. I read Officers- that. Yep. Yep. Officers attached to the task force macro descended on the Claremont home of WA Council for Civil Liberties President Peter Wagers yesterday. Mm. Is Wagers the guy who they kind of glommed onto and ruined the life of? No. No, it's okay. another guy. But it's really important. I'm so glad you mentioned this particular guy, Paul, because mm. I believe this is, this is what I'm thinking. Yep. There's a certain person or people in society that police have a problem with, and that's civil libertarians. Why? And can you just define civil libertarians? Okay, people that believe that police have got too many powers. Yeah. You know, that, that, that he had a real problem with surveillance. And mm-hmm. look, we could talk about surveillance for the next six months. Yep. Just do a season on surveillance because there are, there are two camps. And you and I have come across this in live shows uh, about, you know, DNA testing. They go into a town, you know, there's a there's a serial rapist or a murderer, and they they get the DNA of every single male, which I have a problem with just from that perspective, because they profile and they go, well, it must be a male, but mm, maybe it's not. So I know I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, Paul. I just want to say that civil libertarians... We we do need them. They we do need to protect our our liberty. Otherwise, you just go fucking crazy like certain countries. And Dad, I want to tie this back because 
We've got a task force going right now, and you've indicated to me that somebody gets wrongfully accused here, but it seems to me, and probably to the listeners, there's quite a bit of evidence at the crime scene that was pretty definitive, like the Telstra employee's knife left Mm. by the side of the road. Fascinating, yep. So where did they eventually kind of point the finger, the police? Okay, so Paul, the suspect in this entire case who ends up being the man charged, he was known to police. What was his name? The person wrongfully accused. Okay, Lance Williams. Lance Williams, okay. He was a suspect for two years. He was a public servant, Paul. And when I read about... they, 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 He was the guy that picked up the female police officer, okay? He was, he was, he used to cruise. You know that word, cruising? He'd, he, and he would drive around um, where the murders were taking place, mm-hmm. where the abductions were taking place. And I've, I've, I've just... I, I'm, I'm very excited, listeners, that I got to draw up my little list because in this particular case, I'm going to describe this particular guy... This Lance Williams, okay? So he's a public servant. He's, he's driving around and he became the focus for almost two years. The police became obsessed. The macro group. They they hounded this guy. Well, first, there was, there was actually someone they got before him because uh, they were looking for a taxi driver, remember? Hmm. And there was a guy called Stephen Ross who told the police that he may have given uh, Miss Spears a ride mm. the same night she disappeared. Yep, yep. And he, and this is crazy, uh, this taxi driver lived out the back of, of a house. Ha- he lived in a granny flat, which was around the back of the house owned by Peter Wagers, who was then the mayor mm, at mm. that time. Yeah, well, that's, that's, yeah. And he also said that he was driving taxis, and I quote, on the nights the three women disappeared but always maintained his innocence. He was interviewed by the police but not arrested. Then in 2004, his home was raided by macro task force officers and his taxi was seized for forensic analysis. He was forced to provide a DNA sample. And he was insisting that uh, he was being framed at this point. So that's, mm. so that's the, he's the first person that they really try and put the squeeze on. Mm. Um, but you mentioned Lance Williams. Yeah, sad, sad, sad case. And mm. people will go, oh, well, you know, he was cruising. But then, hello, everyone. A term I don't like using, but I'm, I've used it. Christine and I live in basically in King's Cross. And if you've, if you've ever been to King's Cross or any red light area or any, you know, pulsating, pumping city area. If you sit in a chair and say for an hour, I can guarantee you that you'll see the same car with the same people in it going round and round and round and round. And that's what... And go to any country town, go to Broken Hill, where that's what people, at least when I was there, they would just cruise the streets. So that's a little bit, you know, the guy's cruising. But I'm really excited, everyone, because I got to draw up a little list of the things you don't want to be or didn't want to be at the time to get sucked into the macro task force. So get ready for this, everyone. Don't live with your elderly parents. Don't look unremarkable. Don't be single. Never get treated for depression following the death of a friend. And don't be socially awkward or eccentric. And I am so... That was a cathartic experience, listeners, reading that list that I, I drew up a few weeks ago. That describes the person they hounded for two years. But guess what? It also describes a lot of people in society. Yeah, I mean, 
Look, I've known a lot of people with these kind of attributes. I've got a few of them myself. Let me just read this excerpt, Dad, from this article from ABC News uh, quite a few years ago, actually. Lance Williams, then aged 41, lived with his parents in beachside Cottesloe, adjacent to Claremont, and home to the Ocean Beach Hotel, where both Miss Spears and Miss Rimmer had been drinking on the nights they disappeared. So then, you know, so location-wise... The police are probably thinking that's pretty appropriate. The unremarkable-looking middle-aged man had never been married, like you said, had recently been treated for depression following the death of a friend and came across as socially awkward and eccentric. It had been six months since Miss Glennon went missing and Claremont remained the focus of heavy police attention with dozens of uniformed and undercover officers present in the area after dark. Mr. Williams attracted their attention because of his habit of cruising around the streets of his affl- of the affluent suburb after dark on weekends in his white Hyundai. And, yeah, this is interesting. Undercover female officers were a major part of the police operation in Claremont. And again, Dad, you pointed that out. When Mr. Williams gave one of the officers a lift in the early hours of the morning after she asked him where the nearest bus stop was, police had reason to pay close attention. They secretly began watching him day and night. Then in the early hours of Sunday, the 5th of February, 1998, They pounced, arresting him as he drove through Claremont's Central Entertainment Precinct. And then they spent 12 hours interrogating him, and there was no lawyer present. Yeah, not good. Which is not good. No. No. And they didn't find anything. Um, No. And they harassed his mum and dad, and he, according to the mother and father, um, eventually after about two years, they said, oh, you're no longer a suspect. You're 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 no longer a person of interest. And But sorry for fucking your life for the last two years, and the mum and dad. And if you've seen any of the video footage from the media, it was a circus, mm. okay? And it was a fucking disgrace. They made him take polygraphs. They, you know, he was un- he was under round-the-clock surveillance. And yeah, they but, d- they, but Paul, they, 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 the police were so desperate. Yeah. Now, in fairness, let's don't sort of go too hard on police wanting a result. But if you become overzealous and sort of throw the rule book out, so they, they brought um, these polygraph machines in lie detectors from America... Uh, guess what? Not admissible in Australia. Mm-hmm. Not allowed. So, but they brought them in. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. But Paul, here is a frightening fun fact for you and the listeners. Do you recall our last story about the Morehouse murders? Yes. One of the detectives in this task force in relation to the Claremont killers... Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. The the macro task force was so so desperate, one of the detectives actually got in touch with David Burney from... He was the partner, you know, the guy, the compulsive, the horrendous psychopathic... Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah, murdered at least... Well, look, we, we don't need to sort of rehash what he and his partner did, but one of the detectives consulted with him. How's that? It's like going to see Hannibal Lecter. It's fucking bizarre. It's, it's, it's surreal. But that, just so they've, they've been... They hounded uh, Lance Williams, and I believe they had his house. They kept doing searches of his house unprompted until... They sat opposite of his house and fooled. They followed him to work. Yeah, just... It was a circus. And then all the media got involved, and there mm-hmm. were literally cameras from every station. It was just... Look. You mentioned before Peter Wagers, who owned the house behind which uh, Lance Williams lived... Peter Wagers was the mayor, and yep. like you said, he was very much into civil liberties. He didn't believe in surveillance, so he wasn't actually able to provide uh, any decent alibis for the nights that uh, two of the victims were missing, so the police kind of kept an eye on him. Mm. There was an independent review. His properties were raided, and no charges were ever uh, put out against him. But I think it's probably time to talk about the person who actually did it and how they were caught. Bradley Robert Edwards, Paul, Mm. he, I think it's at at this juncture, it's kind of good to know in a bad, creepy way, listeners, that he, when he was 16, used to, he had glasses and he had his hair parted um, in a slightly unusual manner and probably more noticeable back then. But they have got numerous accounts of people, you know, witnesses, statements, because, you know, police attend a particular incident. So what Edwards used to do, he would ride his push bike and he would sort of focus on a particular woman. It could be, a, in, you know, there were cases of mothers with their young kids. He'd then sort of ride past them. He'd then often sort of maybe 20 metres sort of ahead of where they were walking, he'd then put his bike down and he'd then drop his pants and start masturbating. And when he masturbated in public, he would stare into the eyes, almost into the soul of the intended person that he was focusing on, the person that he was deriving intense sexual gratification. I remember when I was a young policeman, it was a regular, it, and yet we never caught them. Because it's over in a flash. You know, there would be regularly, because there were a lot of girls' high schools in North Sydney and Mossman, and and, and around about 3pm, there'd be some guy 
and not always old old men. It was sometimes it was teenage boys, and they'd they'd be sitting on the bus stop or opposite where all the girls were, and they'd just drop their axe and jack off, and they'd finish their business really really quickly because of the the intense hyper exaggerated fear of getting caught. For God's sake, they're doing it in a public street, and it's just it's kind of weird. Listen, I actually wanted to tie this back very quickly to how this Bradley guy did it. So, remember last episode, listeners, we kind of focused on the Telstra employees, well, it was Telecom at that point issue. Oh, well, maybe it was Telstra, but it was it was the, it was a knife left on the mm. road just near where the body was found, right? Mm-hmm. So, it wasn't until 2016 that the trial of Bradley actually began. Mm. Now, that seems like a long, long, long wait, especially mm. for people who knew those people who were, you know, the three victims. Mm. Um, but what he actually did was he worked for Telstra and mm. he, he used his Telstra Holden Commodore, which was a station wagon that was his kind of, you know, was his work car, basically. Mm. And he used that vehicle to drive the women to different remote areas. And then he... Yeah, he, as we've established earlier in this episode with the wounds, he stabbed them and then kind of hid their bodies fairly shabbily and then mm. a couple of weeks later would do it again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now you, the know mo- that, you know that um, the, the prosecution, really interestingly, Paul, tied in the three murders of these three girls, mm. bearing in mind it's believed he at least killed another three. I've got their names. Okay, so it's... He has been implicated, but never charged with other very similar incidents that have resulted in people being murdered. But Paul, he was wearing clothing that was issued by Telstra. So it was it was unique in terms of the fibre. Okay, the evidence, um, these the critical fibre found on some of the victims was almost unique. It was a very, very specific blue thread that was made in sort of used in the manufacturing of the Telstra-issued pants, okay, which would have been in in his vehicle. But also his DNA was found underneath the fingernail of one of the victims. But it's very important, Paul, to go back to the fact that the police had been investigating this, this, this phantom wanker and they had lots and lots of reports. Uh, they had a very, uh, you know, a very sort of strong basis for sort of the history of this psychopath. They, they kind of, they didn't know who it was. But then one day they, they found some, they had this DNA. They took it to England to have it tested and it came back. So they had a fit. Then they found, remember the kimono left at one of the scenes? He wore, at night time, he wore this Japanese kimono. What happened was the police, and this is something I didn't know about till this morning, is that the police, one of the detectives called in his mate who was with the dog squad. The dogs got a scent of this, they call it a kimono, it's not a kimono. It's a silk uh, nightdress with some sort of Asian, it's more Chinese than Japanese. And the dogs got a scent of this kimono or this, this outfit. They then followed the scent to a house. Okay, get ready for this. And they located, and there was a guy living there with his wife, and they found in this house the sash cord of the dressing gown. 
with the same embroidery. And they thought, shit, we've got the guy. But then they found out that this couple had owned this dressing gown they'd been broken into by our Telstra man. Isn't that incredible? And then, years later, because they kept this this silk gown and our, 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 our Bradley John Edwards, the murderer, had, had left semen stains on the gown. So they, they, they bagged all this and kept it for years. But then at another place that he went to, because he used to steal women's underwear and he had a fetish for underwear, and they found, and this is one of the most critical parts of the whole story, Paul, that I haven't mentioned, they found a fingerprint on one of the premises that he had broken into years before. They kept that fingerprint. They kept the print. They could identify the fingerprint in terms of it had all the points of identification of a latent fingerprint. They just didn't have a name, which means he had not been charged at that point that the print was taken. However, when they finally started to put all the evidence together, the DNA, the fingerprint, the sperm DNA from the gown, they began to get a profile and then they finally had a suspect that had been a suspect all the time. He was just suspect number four, an un- unnamed suspect. But they got, and, they got DNA as well. Like you said, they found, but, uh, they found a very yeah. small trace of his DNA and it was underneath Miss um, Glennon's fingernails which, so that's so that's a defensive well I mean, that, oh. yes because they scratched because when he, when he was raping that girl at the cemetery she had literally torn flesh from his cheek i mean Is, how no one noticed and you know another thing that i said to christine this morning was that something that I have not been able to ascertain is what about his parents? I mean, were they not able to provide evidence if they were alive as to what type of a child he was? He was clearly... I mean, he there were there were so many incidents, like there were parties, there were barbecues when at neighbours' houses where the, the, the mother would go upstairs and find him ratting, ratting through her underwear drawer. He, was a, he, he had a fetish for female underwear, but, Paul, when they finally started to really focus on him hmm. they followed him to a cinema one day where he was at the cinema with his stepdaughter have you heard this story no it's extraordinary there's a whole task force working they're following him he's under surveillance they're almost ready to, to, to bag their man and he discarded a sprite bottle in the cinema when he left they got the bottle they found the dna on the bottle that linked back to the DNA on all these other things, the fingernail, the kimono, and they had their man. But Paul, when they raided his house, and I was reading this, and poor Christine, I didn't tell her um, what I'm about to tell you and the listeners, but she sensed that I reacted rather weirdly this morning, and it takes a lot to shock me, Paul. But when they um, raided Bradley Robert Edwards' home after they arrested him, they found in a box, get ready for this, they found a lot of... Because you know how you told me that he'd gone back about three years later mm-hmm. to, to this the scene at the uh, the rape at the cemetery? Mm. And he, 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 he had kept... Because that night that that particular girl was, was um, you know, abducted, he, she had a, um, <clears throat> a spare... The lawyer um, had a spare pair of her underpants in her bag and she'd written in her own writing on a label inside 
the underwear, put a name on it. So when they do the raid on his house, they find a whole collection of female underwear. But what he'd done, he'd cut holes in the crutch of every pair of underpants. They also found homemade sex toys, in my mind, probably for anal insertion or possibly vaginas, not sure. But here's the creepiest part of this story, and I'm giving you a bit of a a warning here, everyone, because this is really fucked up. They found all these, you know those um, sandwich bags with the little, the self-tires, Paul? Mm. Like a Ziploc? They found those in his collection and inside. Can you guess what was inside? What? His semen. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yep. Paul, really important. Don't cut this because it's critical because it, what it's doing is it's painting a terrible picture of a person that has been twisted and bent and, and has this predisposition and has had it for a long, long time. And they interviewed some prostitutes from a brothel and everyone, and they interv- also interviewed ex-girlfriends. They didn't actually get enough evidence to convict him of the murder of Sarah Spears. No. But they did get him for the other two victims. Mm. Like I said, they found DNA evidence under the fingernail of one of the victims. Um, he was also convicted of the um, the abduction and rape of a 17-year-old. And that was... I mean, the guy had just done horrifying shit. Paul, are you aware that he potentially murdered, they believe at least another three women, but he also is believed to have been involved in at least 20 other attacks of women. You mentioned that before. How much of this is actually verified, though? There are senior police officers Mm -hmm. that have actually named three women, and one in particular, a girl called Julie Cutler, who was 22 years of age. In June 1998, they found her car abandoned at a beach. She's never been found. Okay. So, mate, look, you know, to, to get to the bottom of it, we need to talk to the, to the guy himself. And, and maybe one day, you know, he'll make a dying declaration. I'd like to read this statement from the WA Supreme Court Justice Stephen Hall, who was the one who actually sentenced Edwards uh, to his now life behind bars for the murders of Jane Rimmer and Kiara Glennon. I recognize that there is a high likelihood that you will die in prison. You were a dangerous predator who sought out vulnerable young women and attacked them for your own gratification. You targeted unsuspecting women who were usually completely unknown to you. Your actions were premeditated, executed with pitiless determination, and you were remorseless in your disregard for the pain and suffering that you caused. Now, he can't get parole for, I believe, 40 years, which means, yeah, he's going to He's going to die in prison. Apparently, it's the longest ever non-parole period in WA judicial history. Mm-hmm. So this is the he was uh, convicted of the murders and also for uh, the the sexual attacks. I mean, I'm sitting here trying to think about what it would have been like to have to wait, you know, well over a decade for justice. I know some people don't ever get justice. One thing that's interesting that I think is worth saying before we wrap this up is that uh, Edwards refused to participate in a psychiatric assessment. He kind of stayed calm through the entire trial and, you know, it annoys me when people say, you know, suspects are kind of articulate and intelligent and erudite because who fucking cares. But it looks like he's done. It looks like it's all wrapped up and done. But not for the people who suspect, you know, their loved ones may have been hurt by Mm. this monster. Mm. I just keep thinking how weird it was to actually be in that hotel 
where one of the victims was taken from and to have been to that suburb and to have no idea that any of these things had happened. Yeah, but Paul, um, remember the terrible case years ago we discussed about the the you know the nurse that was um, abducted from Royal North Shore and she was taken by that guy who ended up being... the He was the German guy that worked at the Carvery at the Stain Hotel. That's right. He served me meals. Yeah. He cut my meat. Okay? Mm. I remember him. And he was a horrendous murdering rapist. What do you do with that information? I mean, do you, does it does it make you does it make you look back and retroactively kind of reframe things or Ah, uh, you can't because look, we we all walk apart, you know, we walk past people in the street. It all, the more we do this podcasting and we've been doing god, it's we're we're doing so much of it and it's just you know, it's just, and then I sort of start thinking about other, and then I'm going through other murderers, mass murderers, bloody serial killers, and there are just so many of them in Australia. Mm. They go back to the 1820s. They yeah. go back to convict times where they go the cannibalism and the just. It's just so much stuff in this country, and it's just, you know, Australia. You know, it. it I hate to say this, listeners, but it, it punches well above its weight. If we go to Claremont, Dad. Hmm. If we head to Claremont, now that you've kind of dug into these cases with me, are you going to feel different about the place? I'd lo- I'd love to. I'd love to do a walkthrough. Yeah, but will you feel will you feel different now that you know about these crimes? You mean when I'm standing looking at the places where these women were? Or? Yeah, will it change the kind of will it change the way you interact with with this pl- with these places? Um, no, it'll give me a sort of a, if anything, a tinge of sadness. Right. For the people and for the families and the victims and, you know, but coming back to my point is that when we walk through the streets, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, it it doesn't matter. We are going to invariably pass people that have done very bad things. Yeah. And it's just, it's like when we do our live shows, Paul, and I, you know, I come up with that, that terrible statistic that in the crowd may well be a murderer. Or, or lots lots of things. And, yeah, yeah. you know, look, it's just... Look, the thing I've learned is that the more I know about all this shit is just the more I don't know about things because it's just, you know... But I think most most people in the world are, are, have a very strong desire to be good. Yeah, well, three women at least were snatched from the streets of Claremont and... They're dead now, and the person who did it is rotting behind bars. And it took far too long for justice to be exacted. But mm. it, was, it was it was the longest trial, the longest unsolved case, the most expensive case. Went yeah. on for twenty years. He was in he was incarcerated in in remand on remand for three years. Mm. Okay, so the police must have you've got to have a fucking good strong case to have someone held that long. And there was no jury either. Mm. It's just a judge because for lots of reasons, yeah. and I kind of I do understand that because uh, they do talk about fair trial, and you you just simply because remember you're not guilty till proven guilty. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know Christine's just done a, a two week trial, a drug trial, and uh, yeah, I'll 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 tell you about it another podcast. But okay. interesting because yeah. he this guy was held in custody for three years. Yeah. So, yeah. Jesus. Well, as usual, 
It's been a completely harrowing episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. I'm never going to look at Claremont the same way again, that's for sure. But I'd still like to go back and, you know, kind of just see what I think yeah, now, now that I know these things that happened mm. there. Yep. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files, everyone. We will see you later this week for Loose Ends. But in the meantime, do continue your deluge of messages over at facebook.com forward slash loose units. We absolutely love hearing from you. Have a good week, and we'll see you soon. Cheerio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.